Hello and welcome to the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. My name is J.R. Everhart with Restoration Ministries. I will be your host today. We are going to finish up our eight-week study of John Baker's Life's Healing Choices, revised and updated, uh, getting freedom from your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We are in choice eight, week eight. Uh, This is the recycling pain choice, the sharing choice. Uh, It's just super packed full of awesome stuff. We're going to talk about how God uses our pain and suffering to help others. So make sure you stick around because you do not want to miss a second of today's program. I'll be back in 60 seconds. I want to talk to you guys for a second about my company, COP Audio. COP Audio is your one-stop source for mobile audio and lighting, as well as a host of other services. Uh, We can handle everything from large outdoor concerts to small club-type shows or even DJing your wedding or company picnic. Uh, We also work with local and regional government for public address events and summer community concert series-type stuff. We also do event planning and band booking, as well as audio install work at your local church or high school. You'll find tons of information online about us on both Instagram and Facebook. When you go to our Facebook page, make sure that you read our reviews from our clients. You can also find us uh, by just calling me or texting us, uh, 304-676-8811, 304-676-8811. You can also email me at um, jr.coplaudio at gmail.com. That's jr.coplaudio at gmail.com. CLP Audio has a long success record with dozens of bands, churches, and event venues all around the Mid-Atlantic. Again, find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching CLP Audio or call 304-676-8811. That's 304-676-8811. All right, uh, welcome back, welcome back. So uh, here we are, week eight. Man, it seems like this has just flown by. Um, We've been through a lot of information in this program here. Um, Again, just to kind of uh, stamp this this podcast, we are, uh, like I said in the intro, going through John Baker's Life's Healing Choices. Um, And this is a a teaching program uh, inside of Celebrate Recovery which is a Christian-based 12-step program. Um, we, we go through the steps and the principles in a couple different ways. Um, there's actually two programs for the 12-step uh, formatted step study. Uh, the first one is The Journey Begins, and then the second one is The Journey Continues. Uh, they're long classes, uh, usually taking... There's 26 lessons, so that's 26 weeks. So that's six to nine months. I don't think I've ever gotten through it uh, in less than about seven or eight months, somewhere in that ballpark. Because some weeks, you know, we got guys that are in in the group. That group, when you're together that long, really does become a a brotherhood, you know, for the guys and a sisterhood for the women. Um, And we do those separately, by the way, men's group are all men's groups and women women um and that's it's a beautiful thing one of the beautiful things i really like about celebrate recovery but it's hard to get honest as a man with a woman sitting in the room um and i know a lot of the secular programs work that way and if that works for you hey that's that's 
totally groovy. You know, that's cool. Um, for me, I feel much more comfortable being in a room full of men who uh, just have a better, you know, understanding of what it is to be a man and, and to struggle with things as a man. So, yeah, like I said, that program usually takes, you know, seven to nine months, you know, something like that. I've seen them go as long as 12 months. Uh, because like I said, you get some weeks where you don't even get to the lesson. Some weeks you're just sitting there, you know, working through some ministry things with some of the guys in the group. You know, sometimes guys walk into those meetings and they're in crisis. And in those meetings, that brotherhood, you know, really goes deep within us. And uh, we surround that brother that's in crisis and we pray with him and we talk to him and we, we help him, you know, get through it, you know, bearing one another's burdens. <clears throat> where this program, Life Sealing Choices, is based around the eight principles. Every 12-step program has the 12 steps, obviously, and then a another list of something that kind of supports the 12 steps. In AA, I think it's the... It's called Traditions, you know, uh, ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, which I love that program. I highly recommend it. Um, I think they have a laundry list. Is is there kind of a, a accompaniment to the 12 steps? So um, in Celebrate Recovery, it's the acrostic for recovery, the word recovery, and that's an eight-letter word. So there's eight principles that support the 12 steps of Celebrate Recovery. Uh, and then, again, the beautiful thing about Celebrate Recovery is it is a biblically-based Christian 12-step approach. So as you go through each principle, as you've seen through this series, it's the same way with the uh, the long version, the step study long version, uh, there's just mounds and mounds of scripture they bring to the table to uh, reinforce and to, you know, more specifically outline how we're supposed to be living, um, living out the Bible, you know, and uh, in the view of our, you know, hurts, habits and hangups, you know, so, uh, you know, I really dig that. It's, you know, that was something that really appealed to me. AA never really appealed to me because of that very reason. Uh, I've been to some of those secular meetings. It is definitely a different groove, you know. Um, it's much more centered on self-help, although AA has a definite spiritual component to it. At one time, I believe that was a Christian component, but over over time, they kind of watered that out of the program uh, with good intentions, trying to reach people who didn't identify as Christians in hopes that through the process of recovery, they would become Christians through seeing Christ live in the people that are running the program. But as you can imagine, you know, in, in, um, in some people's efforts to be sensitive to where everyone's at, they kind of took Jesus out of those programs and, and turned it into... Uh, the God of your knowledge or your higher power, you know, um, I know a lot of programs call it that. In Celebrate Recovery, we're, we're really straight ahead with that. We are unapologetically confessing Jesus Christ is our higher power and, uh, you know, the God of Israel to be the one and only true God and uh, Jesus being the only way, you know, to God and into heaven. Um, so if you're a Christian, you get that. If you're not, well, don't freak out because I'm not trying to shove religion down your throat. But if you do hang out long enough to uh, hear me speak for a little while, you'll hear my heart and you'll hear that um, the beauty of Christ is much different than you probably built your stereotype of Christians in your mind. 
of, you know. So, uh, yeah, so let, let's dig in. Um, the beatitude that supports this uh, principle, which the principle is yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. And then the uh, beatitude from Matthew that supports this is happier those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Uh, choice eight is called the sharing choice uh, because we are basically going to learn um, you know, learn how to turn our recovery process into a testimony. And um, the Bible says that we have overcome the, the world through the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. So your testimony, your story has a, enormous amounts of power. Uh, but I think you got to have some, you got to have that standing on some really firm legs uh, for for you to really be able to, to walk out the Great Commission, you know. So that's what this chapter is about. Uh, your greatest contribution to this world or, you know, your greatest ministry uh, will not be found in your strength, but in your weakness. It will come from your pain. The very thing you want least to talk about, the very thing you want to hide in the closet is the very thing God wants to share. One of the greatest things about God is that he never wastes a hurt and he doesn't want to waste your hurt. Um, the first time I heard that statement, and I've heard it literally thousands of times in my almost nine years inside of Celebrate Recovery, uh, that kind of hit me sideways because I was kind of like, I almost felt like I was being used by God in a negative way when that's not at all what's going on here. God is trying to use you in a positive way. When he says he doesn't waste your hurt, that means once he's healed and restored you, you know, as we go through this lesson, you'll see how God uses that pain to to minister to other people. In this chapter, the last chapter and the last choice, you'll see that the why in the word recovery stands for yield, and it also stands for you. God wants you to yield to him and allow him to recycle your pain in your life for the benefit of others. Most of us are under the misconception that God only uses those who are really gifted, um, you know, extraordinary, talented people, extroverts, people who talk a lot like me, you know, I talk a lot. Um, not that I'm extra, you know, extraordinary or anything like that, because I don't see myself that way. But um, that's totally not true. You know, God uses ordinary people. In fact, he, he does his best work um, through weak people. You know, God really digs the underdog, you know, I mean, he really, really, you know, is for the underdog. You know, he is the guy that's always going to be rooting for uh, the guy that has all the cards stacked against him. Because when he enters those situations, this is just the gospel of JR. You can take it for what it's worth. This is what I have observed over my, I don't know, 25 years of being a Christian. <clears throat> he takes what was meant for evil and he uses it for good, you know. So he takes, you know, uh, uh, people who really would have never thought in a million years. And I've seen him turn a lot of introverts into extroverts when it was time to minister to people. It's like, and I've seen it right before my eyes. It's a miraculous thing. It's like a switch goes off and God just ignites the fire in them and they start talking and, you know, people's lives get changed. You know, there's many pastors who were 
confessing introverts that ended up becoming someone who was very, very comfortable speaking in front of large groups of people and, and ministering and things like that. So don't limit God's, you know, um, don't limit God's efforts into your life by your small little vision of yourself. Because I always say that our well as a, as a human being and as a, as a living soul, you know, made alive through the breath of God, that we're a deep, deep well. And we highly underestimate how deep our well goes. And God is real good at lowering the bucket into that well and drawing out whatever the situation requires. You know, there's a place in, in the New Testament where it talks about don't prepare your words when you're brought before, you know, your enemies, when you're brought before, you know, people who want to persecute you for your faith, that he will give you the words to say when that when that time comes, you know, that we're not to be overly prepared for that. That way the Holy Spirit can speak through us. Um, I've seen that thing play out so many times. It's, I mean, even in my own life, there's so many things even in my own life that I, I just really did not see coming. And God loves taking people who seem to be weak and turning them into just warriors for the gospel. Uh, it says even in heaven, you know, the first will be last and the last will be first. And what that basically is communicating is that the, the playing field has been leveled. You know, there is, God doesn't love me more than he loves you. He's not going to do for me that he won't do for you because I'm doing something right that you're not doing. I mean, that's, that's all lies from the enemy. That's all junk that the enemy weaves into our thinking to get us from stepping out in faith and trying to do the things that God wants us to do. So don't let that stuff get in the way. So uh, why does God allow pain? This is a question that I think we've all heard people ask, and maybe you have this question, you know, um, residing in your heart or in your mind, and you're wondering why does God allow pain and suffering in this world if he's such a good God? Um, well, there's, there's, some, there's some components to this that uh, explain this very well. Um, the book here uh, lays out four, four things. First of all, he's given us free will. Um, you know, he's given us the ability to, to not, he could have created us and made us robots. You know what I mean? Like he could have just created us in a way to where all we never did any wrong and all we did was serve him, you know, and we didn't have the ability to choose him. Well, God didn't want a bunch of robots you know, any more than he wants religion. And I always throw people out in the left field when I make that statement. But when I say religion, I'm talking about the institution that brings bondage to, you know, the people. The institution, the traditions of man that has made God's word of no effect. That's how Jesus put it when he was talking to the Pharisees. You know, that's religion. I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a religious person. That's not how I view myself. I will tolerate that term when talking to unbelievers because they don't know any better. And I won't, you know, get into a big theological thing because it's not going to go anywhere with somebody who doesn't understand what I'm trying to say. Um, but the reality of it is I don't see myself as a religious person because religion is a return to some sort of bondage. Like you're just giving over your free will to an institution and not to God. You know, uh, I know people who've been going to church for, you know, 50 years and don't know Jesus any more than the man in the moon. Their church has just been their, their, their country club, their social network. You know, that's kind of what it is. And you know it real quick when you go into those churches because they're not very welcoming to other people. 
Um, so yeah, free will is a huge part of this. And I've had people come to me and say, well, you know, why does God allow, you know, somebody to exercise their free will against an innocent person? Like you take, you know, someone who is, is abusing a child or something like that. Like, you know, they'll come off, come from the mindset of, well, you know, if God really loved that kid, why wouldn't he stop that? Well, the one thing God is, is just, and that means that he's extremely fair so if he was to infringe on that person's free will to exercise evil against that child, that means he has to infringe on everyone's free will. And let me let you in on a little secret that most people don't know about free will. Without free will, you cannot love. You can't really love someone unless you have the opportunity to not love that person. Without free will, we lose the ability to love. You can't really choose good unless you have the option to choose bad. When God created Adam and Eve, he wanted people who would, in the face of a choice to do bad, to choose to do good every day. Uh, I always use the Judas example. You know, Judas was a known thief. Jesus made him the treasurer of the ministry. How, in what world does that make any sense? This is Jesus we're talking about here. How did he not know that this dude was a thief and he was going to steal from the ministry? The other disciples knew it. It's, it's, you know, it's stated in the Gospels as plain as day. It's because Jesus wanted Judas to choose every day whether or not he was going to steal from the ministry or he was going to not steal from the ministry. So see what I'm saying there? See the pattern? See how in your ability to choose right and wrong is also your ability to choose to love? And, you know, man, the bottom line is God is never going to overrule someone's, you know, free will. If you've ever been through a divorce, you know this very, very well. I just had a conversation two days ago with a friend of mine, and uh, we were talking about divorce. And this person asked me that, well, if it was God's will, then, you know, he would you know, put people back together and, you know, that sort of stuff. And I immediately responded with... Well, that can be God's will, but if that person chooses to do make the wrong decision, then God's will doesn't play out in their life. We all know what it's like to walk outside of God's will. It's a very miserable place. And God gives us the ability to choose him or to not choose him. Um, God says to us, you can reject me or accept me. It's your choice. Well, even inside the faith, sometimes we still get lost in pride. We still get lost in this anger and this bitterness that, you know, they, they are more in love with their anger and bitterness toward their ex-spouse or soon-to-be ex-spouse uh, than they are with Jesus because they would rather, you know, practice their free will to make the wrong decision and give up on their marriage than what they would to dig in and get to counseling and try to figure stuff out. God's never going to make somebody make the right decision. I really, really struggled with that in my first divorce because I just thought with everything in me, and honestly, I'm struggling with it in the divorce I'm going through now. You know, it, I just it's hard to wrap your head around, you know, somebody that just kind of flips a switch and shuts you off. But, hey, they have free will to do that, and God's never going to make them make the right decision. And it's the same way with abuse. You know, I was someone who struggled with tons of abuse from my childhood, and, 
you know, a sexual nature. And, you know, for years and years, I, I was mad at those people, you know. And for years and years, I blamed God for some of that. I was like, God, why didn't you save, save me from that? I was just this innocent little kid. And God led me to this principle of free will, that those people exercise their free will to do evil against me. And no matter what right or wrong was, those people chose to do what they did. And I was the victim of that. But I have a choice whether or not I'm going to live my life out. I can exercise free will in my own you know, behalf to forgive and to let go of all the hurt and the pain of unforgiveness. And that's what I had to walk through in my early days of recovery was to, you know, work through that principle that, you know, look, guys, here, here's the bottom line, because a lot of times we think in doing this and we talked about forgiveness in the last lesson. But, you know, living in unforgiveness and bitterness and anger is like drinking poison and thinking the other person is going to you know, die. No, you're killing yourself. You're, you're trapped in a prison of your own design when you don't forgive. And you have the ability to exercise that free will to forgive. But pain is part of their free will package. You can't have free will without pain. Because here's, here's how I drive this whole point home. What, up, what about the people you have victimized in your life? Because we've all made big mistakes that hurt other people. And we all need God's grace and mercy. And we victimize those other people no matter how big or small that, that, that was. It's still the same sin of victimizing an innocent person. We all need, you know, restoration in Christ. You chose to exercise your free will in that situation the same way you choose to exercise your free will when you, you choose to forgive someone or when you choose to love someone. Number two, God uses pain to get our attention. I mean, if this doesn't speak to you, I don't know what, what will, because I think we, especially in today's age when things are just kind of chaotic and, and it's just, things are nuts right now. I mean, let's just be real, you know? Um, pain is not our problem though. It's depression, anxiety, fear. Um, those things aren't even, those things aren't even your problem, you know, um, they're just simply warning lights, you know, telling us that something is wrong. It's kind of like, you know, when, when you, you feel a pain in your gut or, you know, something like that, you know, that's telling you, your body's communicating to you and trying to tell you something, you know, um, now there may be all kinds of fear and anxiety and stuff wrapped around that pain. And, uh, when you get to the doctor and you find out that, Hey, you have appendicitis and you're going to have to have surgery, you know, there's fear and anxiety around that. But you know, the pain, the fear and the anxiety wasn't the problem. It was the appendicitis that was the problem. It's the same way with our habits, you know, and our compulsive behaviors and our addictions. You know, the pain and all that stuff is just surface level stuff. But God uses that pain to get our attention sometimes. Uh, in the program, we say regularly that when your pain gets greater than your fear to reach out for help, then you'll reach out for help. So let's read some of what John Baker has here. Uh, sometimes pain is severe, uh, like the pain of uh, a sunburn on your skin, an uh, inner stab of the heart. Uh, without these painful sensations, we just might go about our business unaware of life-threatening dangers. 
Um, in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, the Apostle Paul said, I am glad, not because it hurt you, but because the pain turned you to God. So there is pain, and I'm going to get into some of the Bible in this, so kind of bear with me. But uh, there is a pain that is that God uses to glorify us. You know, and sometimes, like, you know, people teach the, you know, teach the principles of backsliding from the faith and stuff like that. You know, that's that's a theological thing I'm not going to dig into because it's, you know, it's a ladder leading to nowhere in a lot of cases. But the reality of this is whenever you refuse to do what God's leading you to do, God doesn't punish you. You know, he doesn't actively get mad at you and start raining, you know, brimstone, you know, down from the heavens to to burn you alive. All he has to do is step back and turn you over to your own selfish, prideful desires. And you'll self-destruct all on your own. And sometimes God's got to stay back and allow you to feel that pain and allow you to hit that rock bottom before you get to a place where you're ready to surrender to the plan that he has for us. Um I think later on we're going to talk about the the prophet Jonah who refused to do what God told him to do and ended up spending three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. Well, I don't know about you, but I mean, I I watch a lot of nature shows. Like, I am a big fan of National Geographic and, you know, um, nature shows and that sort of thing. I've currently been going through a, a TV program about whales, and I'm thinking about Jonah the whole time I'm watching this. And I'm like, look, the dude didn't get, like, swallowed up and spent... 10 minutes inside the belly of a whale and got spit up on an island. No, the dude spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. Think about that. Think about what that had to be, a fear of drowning constantly, you know, with the water intake and, and going out and as the, you know, fighting your way around the things that the whale is eating and trying to digest, you know? I mean, three days is a long time to be in the belly of a whale. Um, but it was through that pain that uh, the prophet realized that, hey, you know, he remembered God and, and said, okay, Lord, I'm ready to do this your way. And then that's when the whale spit him up on dry land and, you know, he went about and did exactly what God told him to do. And God was glorified because God had purpose in what he was asking him to do. So God uses our pain many, many times. Um, your problem may be low self-esteem, loss, abandonment, or abuse. Your pain is telling you that these issues need your attention. Nobody likes pain, but God uses pain to get your attention. Uh, and then this is where it talks about Jonah. You know, Jonah being swallowed up. Uh, I want to go the other way is what Jonah said, you know, after three days. And um, he's, yeah, he's like, look, dude, I can't do this anymore. You know, I mean, I get it. All right. I need to follow what you're asking me to do. And I know your way is better than my way. So let's just cut to the chase here and get this going on. So um, I think that's a great verse. It says, when I had lost all hope, when he thought he was going to die, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. You know, how many times have we done that in a, in a place of crisis? Uh, we know where our answers are, guys. It's just when things are going good, we tend to forget about God. That's why he has to use pain to get our attention. And it's not pain he inflicted on us necessarily. In the Old Testament, you know, Jonah didn't have the covenant of Christ. You know, he was living under the, the covenant of Abraham. You know, the New Testament is built on the covenant of Christ that, that was bought through Christ's blood on the cross. So, you know, God does not work in the New Testament the way he did in the Old Testament as far as raining down, you know, judgments like that on people. Um, 
and he, he could have killed Jonah and had every right to kill Jonah because Jonah was being, you know, rebellious and disobedient. But he, he took mercy on Jonah and he put him in a place of suffering to lead him back to him so Jonah could be reestablished. And Jonah was happier when the whole thing was over with anyways. And we don't know what hell God saved Jonah from by getting swallowed up by the whale because Jonah was on a ship going across the sea. And he could have got wrapped up in all kinds of nastiness when he got to where he was going. You know, we never look at the story that way, how God could have saved Jonah from way more suffering, maybe even death, by, you know, spending three days in the belly of the whale. God is always looking out for our well-being, always. Don't ever forget that. Number three, God uses pain to teach us to depend on him. The Apostle Paul was well acquainted with pain, and out of his experience, he tells us, we were really crushed and overwhelmed and saw how powerless we were to help others. But that was good. For then we put everything into his hands, into God's hands, who alone could save us. That is from 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. I want to kind of take a sidebar and just kind of give you this this sidebar little mini lecture uh, for free. You know, this is free of charge here, guys. Have you ever heard anyone say, God will never put anything on me that I can't handle, or God will never put things on me that I can't handle, you know, and they're saying that in a time of crisis and all this kind of stuff. This is the exact scripture that debunks that, because that idea, that saying, that catchphrase, that bumper sticker quote that says, God will never put things on me that I won't handle is not in the Bible. Absolutely not in the Bible. Right here, Paul is talking about his time with Timothy when they were in Asia, that they had been persecuted and thought they were going to die. And it was only in the moment that they decided to stop trying to figure it out on their own and lean into God and trust that God could overcome the situation. And his power was when the, the tables turned and they were able to be saved. There's a lesson to be learned in that. If you could handle everything, what in the world would you need God for? Think about that. Many times in our lives, we're going to encounter things that we cannot handle. That's why we need a dramatic pause, Savior, to save us from those situations. His name is Jesus Christ. It's really not rocket science when when you get in the Bible and actually start reading the Bible instead of listening to, you know, lukewarm Christians at the water cooler at the office. Look, the Bible does not say God won't put something on you that you can't handle. The scripture that they manipulate to try and and turn into that. And look, I was guilty of this too at one time in my life. And it ain't been that long ago. I've been guilty of this too. I've said that statement too. And I had a very good pastor buddy of mine set me straight on this. And I got revelation of it. And I've never said it again ever since. That's been years and years ago. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it talks about how God will not tempt us beyond a point that, well, let me just read it for you out of the, out of the word here because I have it opened up here. Uh, okay, maybe I didn't. So 1 Corinthians, bear with me, 10, 13. Uh, the temptations of your life are no different from what others experience. So that debunks the whole idea that when we're in these points of temptation, we always feel like we're all alone and no one else is experiencing it. Look, guys, read Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Solomon covers all that stuff. There are no new sins. 
All the stuff that we deal with now and all the things we see going on in the world now have been repeated over and over and over many times throughout the centuries. You can always go back into ancient days and still see the same sins playing out in society. They just look a little different now because we have technology and, you know, all that kind of jazz. So the temptations in your life are no different from what others have experienced. Uh, And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Temptation. Not your circumstance, temptation. And when you are tempted, he will show you the way out so that you can endure. So it's not even say it's not even saying he's going to give you the strength to overcome the temptation. He's going to provide a way for you to run, forest, run. Okay? That's what it's saying. Because if you go back into James 1, it talks about how temptation starts in your mind, and then the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're kind of fantasizing about things, and then you're talking about it, and then you're acting it out, and then the next thing you know, you're just doing it and don't even care who sees you anymore, and that always leads to death of some kind, spiritual death, emotional death, relational death, you know, spiritual death. I mean, it never leads anywhere good. So it's not even saying that he's going to give you the power to overcome the temptation, He's saying he's going to provide a way of escape. This is why it's so important that we don't isolate. Because when we're by ourselves and we're isolated, the enemy is like holding all the cards in that situation. This is why you got to stay in close contact with accountability people, your sponsor, other Christian believers that are real, strong Christian believers, not lukewarm Christians that are buying into the whole progressive Christianity thing, you know, telling everybody that God's okay with how we live, you know, because he's really not. That's why I sent Jesus. Um, so, yeah, so there's your little sidebar mini sermon free of charge. So back to, he uses our pain to teach us to depend on him. You will never know, uh, so you will never know that God is all that you need until God is all you have. Man, if that's not a mouthful, let me read it again. You will never know that God is all that you need until God is all that you have. Some of us got to lose everything and hit that rock bottom before we realize God is really all we need in life. And when he's all you have, you realize he's all you need. Uh, When it's uh, all falling apart and you've lost it all, that's when you can see clearly the only one who is remaining beside you is God, is Christ. Uh, Without problems, you'd never learn that God is the only real problem solver. God allows uh, pain to teach you to depend on him. The suffering you sent was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your principles. That's another scripture. Um, Number four, God allows pain to give us ministry to others. Um, Being used by God for the benefit of others is what choice eight is all about. That's what this whole chapter is all about. So he's going to take all this pain that we've just talked about and all the craziness we just talked about and how we kind of wiggle and squirm around when we're in those times of suffering, myself included. Um, and he uses that, you know, he's going to use that now to establish his ministry in you. So how can we use our pain to help others? Well, we have to accept the mission, first of all. And the, the mission is the, the Great Commission. That's what the mission is, the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said to go into the highways and the byways and, and spread my gospel. 
Well, I mean, that's we're all called to do that. That doesn't mean standing on a street corner with a bullhorn and, and forcing Christianity down people's throats. That does not work as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we even talked today in our meeting, uh, when we did this today in our meeting with the guys over Zoom, that um, I brought out some statistics that I had learned many, many years ago. Uh, I was going through a training course at a church I was attending, and they had said eight out of every ten people who uh, – convert to Christianity through confrontational ministry, that is people who are on the street corner with the bullhorn or who are trying to shove their beliefs down your throat, eight out of every 10 of those people end up falling away from the faith. They, they, it didn't stick. Like they didn't really get saved. They had an emotional experience and an interaction with God, um, maybe even felt the Holy Spirit in that situation, but didn't make a lifelong commitment to God. On the flip side of that, nine out of every 10 people who convert to Christianity through relational-based ministry, which are people who built bridges into your life, they earned the right to speak into your life, they took time and built a friendship or a relationship with the person and shared their faith in a comfortable, inviting you know, having earned the right to speak into their life, now you're invited to speak into their life um, in an inviting way, nine out of every 10 of them it did take, you know, they did make a lifelong commitment, you know, to Christ. So that is, uh, that's very, very important. And it starts with, you know, telling your story. So, uh, how do we tell our story? Well, at first you got to be humble. You know, we're all in the same boat here. We're all fellow strugglers. You know, I always kind of paint this this way. Once you get comfortable with your brokenness, and you get a revelation, you know, in your mind and in your heart, a divine revelation that we're all broken. That's everybody. Everyone's broken. No one is not broken. You know, all the high horse Christians who think they're all that in a bag of chips really aren't. They're broken too. They're just hiding it better than you. When you understand that, that gives birth to a humble approach to sharing your story where it's like, Here's some things that I've struggled with and that that caused me enormous amounts of pain and suffering in my life. And, you know, the next thing is to be real. And that kind of piggybacks on that is we just get real with people. We We get honest about our hurts and our faults. This is where we go back to the beginning of the chapter where it talks about the thing you're trying to hide in the closet is the exact thing that God wants to use to minister to someone else. And today in our group, when I was teaching this, uh, I talked about, you know, all these guys in this group have, have, well, all but one have been in, you know, uh, open share meetings with me. And um, they know that when, especially when there's a new guy there, I will usually be one of the first guys who will open up and share some ugly stuff from my life. Because when you start throwing dirty laundry on the table, it creates an atmosphere of safety where now everyone else in the room is okay with putting their dirty laundry on the table. And you know what guys, when we all put our dirty laundry on the table, then we, that's the iron sharpening iron process. That's when we're helping each other. It's uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah, I get it, you know, but it's absolutely necessary. And it creates this environment where people aren't afraid to say, you know what? I've been using prescription opiate painkillers for the last, you know, eight years and no one knows it. Or, hey, you know what? I've been smacking my wife around 
on the weekends, you know, when I have a few drinks with the guys. And no one knows that. That's a big family secret. I've seen that kind of stuff happen right before my eyes, all because someone in the group was brave enough and comfortable enough with their brokenness to say, hey, look, here's some things I'm struggling with in my life. And by the way, man, here's a whole bunch of junk that just caused me horrible agony in my life. And, you know, God took all that and replaced it with peace and harmony. And I'm so thankful for what God's done for me. And uh, he can do that for everyone else sitting here too. You know, uh, we've all made mistakes. We've all made really big mistakes, guys. Big mistakes, okay? Don't sit and think you haven't because you know you have. You may be the only one to know that you made that big mistake. You may have it hidden away real, real good under layers of denial, under all kind, like you've got stories on top of stories to cover your tracks and no one's ever going to know about this. Maybe you stole some money from the office, you know, that you know was wrong and has been, you know, hounding you. Maybe you stole some money from your neighbor that they didn't know about. You know, maybe you slept with your neighbor's wife and no one knows about it, but you and her. And maybe that's eating you alive on the inside and you're on a handful of medication every day because you can't deal with the guilt. And it's been diagnosed now as manic depression. I have seen, and look guys, I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be any of that stuff. I'm just, I'm just an uneducated guy who is in love with Jesus. That's, that's how I am, you know? And I have seen some of, of the most together, educated, wealthy people be the biggest train wrecks in all the world. I've sat across the table from them and prayed with them, cried with them because they finally, finally got brave enough to talk about the things that were getting in the way and realize that the pills weren't making the problem go away. It was only putting a Band-Aid on it. Like I said, I'm not a doctor. I can't tell people, you know, what to do with their medication. Talk to your doctor about that. But I will say this, in the short nine years that I have been doing this inside of Celebrate Recovery, I can say with confidence that about 98% of the people that I have walked with in the meetings or have even sponsored or have, you know, been, you know, partnered with inside of recovery that was on, you know, hordes of antidepressant medication, found freedom from all that when they decided to clean out their closet, let go of all their secrets, and clear their conscience. And then go and make amends with the people that they hurt. Yeah. It really can be that simple. Now, that doesn't mean that yeah, that's how it's going to work for you. That's something you got to figure out with God and with your your people in your area, with your Celebrate Recovery people, and with your doctor. But 98% of the time, it's a sin issue that someone hasn't uncovered. The only way you're going to speak into that person's life is talk about how you had to uncover your sin issues at one point. Again, using that word of your testimony to overcome the world. Uh, you don't lecture. You know, you don't sit there and argue with people and f- try to force people into heaven. You know, you just gently and calmly, you know, tell your story. And you talk about what God did in your life. And then you let the chips fall where they may. 
And I've done that with, with some people and not seen or heard from them for years. And then them come back years later and talk about how that night that I shared my testimony or that night that I was brave enough to talk about the things God had done in my life was the beginning of a huge change in their life. And I take no credit for that. To God be the glory. It's not about me. It's about God's work in me. Because what's inspiring them is the work God has done in me, not you know, JR's ability to overcome all his junk because I'm still trying to overcome all my junk. You know, I teach this stuff all the time, guys. I'm still trying to figure it out for myself. I'm still peeling the layers of the onions off, you know? I mean, it just, I'm trying to get there too. And we have to consider finally here, and I'm, I'm closing. I know we're going long. Finally, we have to consider our beneficiaries. We have to consider the people whose lives are going to be changed by our stories. You know, and I always try to remember that there was a time when I was the new guy at the meeting. You know, there was a time where I didn't know anyone in the room and that, you know, I was scared to share the things that, that I had done, you know, some, some tough, ugly stuff. I was, I was ashamed to share the things I was victimized by because it, some of those things really ate away at my masculinity. You know, some of those things, you know, really made me feel insecure about my sexuality and things like that. I had to work through all that stuff too. You know, I have all, I have all the background textbook stuff to be, you know, um, to be gay, to be transgender, to be, you know, all, all that. That's, I can totally relate to those people who struggle with those issues because, a lot of the sexual abuse from my childhood was, you know, man on man or man on kid, you know, but it was all same sex abuse. Most of it, most of it, not all, but most of it. And as a, you know, five, six, seven year old kid, that wires you in a broken manner. Uh, now, I am very proud and very, you know, happy that. I was able to walk close enough to Christ where I didn't allow those things to manifest in my life, but I can relate to the struggle. I really can. You know, I know what it's like to be confused that way. I know what it's like to have your innocence and your sexuality robbed from you at an an early age. My sexual abuse started when I was three, three years old. My best friend just celebrated his granddaughter's three-year-old birthday. Yeah, I'm sitting there thinking that, yeah, that's that's when it started with me. Yeah, I can vividly remember the first time it happened. I don't remember anything else about that period of my life but the abuse. You know what? Jesus was right there with me, weeping with me. He gave me strength to get through it. Um, he put things in my life to help me cope with all the pain and the suffering, uh, blessed me with enormous amounts of musical talent and artistic talent and that sort of stuff. And that really was the godsend in my life that got me through the tough teen years when I was trying to unpack a lot of that stuff, uh, all the way up into when I first started counseling in my early you know, 20s. You know, and still made a whole boatload of mistakes and didn't get into, you know, real recovery until I was almost 40 years old. You know, that was 20 years of my adult life that was a mess, an absolute mess, because I was this broken kid still trying to figure out where my place was and who I was and what my identity was and, and, you know, how to connect with a woman in a healthy way, how to have intimacy outside the bedroom. 
you know, to how, how to have love and true to your core, true love that isn't founded on sex. That's tough. Maybe, maybe you can understand what I'm saying, or maybe you're the person that went the other way because people with my kind of testimony go one of two ways, they either go toward, you know, the, the sex issue like I did, or they go completely away from it where they're not interested at all and they isolate and they just kind of, they're never, they, they, they become perfectionists that are never enough for themselves or anybody else in their mind. And they live a life of defeat and failure because of that. And most of the time, they don't even know why. They're, they see themselves as trying to be the best they can be each and every day. And when they don't measure up to their own unobtainable standards, they beat themselves up. And they self-mutilate emotionally, sometimes even physically. This is real stuff, guys. And being able to share these kind of things, even from my own life, is, is not easy. It's not at all easy. It's easy for me. I'm like this 6'2", 300-pound, you know, looking tough guy who is just this broken 12-year-old kid on the inside trying to figure it all out. Yeah, I seen a quote the other day on Facebook that said, um, when I was growing up, I didn't realize that I had a front row seat in watching my parents grow up. And I started having kids when I was 20 years old, you know, and my life really didn't start until I was almost 40. So my kids were almost totally grown by the time I started to get any form of revelation or get any handle on all this dysfunction that was in my life. And I'm still trying to, you know, grow and still trying to progress forward. But there's a bloody battlefield of people I've hurt behind me. You know, now my past does not dictate my future. So don't get me wrong. Don't you dare feel sorry for me for anything I've shared, because that's not the point of sharing it. The point of sharing it is you might be the one person that needs to hear this to understand that God was right there with you. He never abandoned you in, in during during this abuse. Never. He was there and, and helped you survive it so that someday you could get to a place where you could connect with him on a level like I did at 40 years old and be able to start the healing road of restoration and then turn around. Now here I am almost nine years later running a podcast, you know, trying to tell other people that, hey, God can totally heal you and restore you and he can establish you in a way you never thought was possible in your life. But you got to be brave enough to talk about these things. And it's never easy. Every time I have to give my testimony, I just, you know, I have performed in front of, I think the biggest crowd I ever performed in front of was about 10,000 people, you know, as a drummer. Were countless shows of that size behind, you know, a soundboard and, you know, stuff like that, doing production work. But it's still, when I got to give my testimony, I still am scared to death when I walk up behind the, the pulpit or when I got to stand in front of the group. I'm, I'm terrified. Got butterflies, got the whole nine yards, and I just have to step out. I remember one time I was on the verge of having an absolute full-blown panic attack. Ten seconds, as they were introducing me, ten seconds before I walked on stage. The enemy does not want me to stand in front of a group of people and talk about what God's done in my life. He just doesn't. 
because he knows that if someone listens to what I'm saying, it's probably going to change their lives and it may plant seeds in their lives. That's going to get them to where I am now. So they can, you know, have some form of peace and harmony in their life, have some form of compassion for others that are struggling and pay this whole thing forward. That's what this chapter is about. That's what choice eight is about. God recycling the pain he's healed you from so that you can pay it forward. I do all my counseling and all the groups that I've run and the countless guys that I have sponsored over the years and stuff like that for free. For free, guys. I got my first donation to this podcast this past week. And it went to pay for equipment that I had to buy to do season two here the way I thought this podcast deserved it to be done. Everything else I've done, all the stuff, it's all been for free. You know why? Because I feel a call on my life to give back because what was freely given to me needs to be freely given to the people around me. It's serious stuff, guys. It really is. And what I always tell the guys that I sponsor is the way you repay me for my time and my sacrifice is that when you get to a place where you can start helping others, that you become me. And you do for others the way I've done for you. That's how you pay for all the time that I have invested in you. And guys, I got some guys I've been with for, I got one guy right now I've been with for I know five, six years. He just completed this course with me today. Five, six years. Maybe, yeah, at least five, six years. Might be pushing seven. That's what it's about. That's what Choice Eight's about. So take what you've learned. Take this whole series. If, you, if this is the only podcast you've listened to out of this series, I highly recommend that you go back and you listen to the previous seven episodes. Uh, I have intentionally not posted any other messages that uh, I wanted to post during this time frame so that there would be eight consecutive episodes back-to-back covering life-sealing choices. So I will be unpacking as we move forward a bunch of stuff God's been showing me along the way that will be topics of other podcasts. So um, have a great week. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that you guys take the pain that God is healing you of. Take the pain that God has has brought you out of and pay it forward to the next guy. I love you all. Thanks for listening. If you have found value in this podcast or if it has blessed you in any way, can I ask a couple things from you real quick? Please rate and review this podcast on whatever format you listen to it on, especially if you use Google or Apple Podcasting app. Also, could I ask you to please donate to this ministry? Uh, We need your financial support. We are not sponsored by any church or religious denomination, nor do we have any corporate sponsors. Uh, We are totally independent and dependent on our listeners to make this ministry resource possible. Please consider giving to this ministry. I'll be sure to post links and information on how to give in the description of this podcast. And finally, and most importantly, 
We need your prayers for guidance and protection from the people who look to silence voices like ours. Pray for God's favor in the eyes of our enemies and grace in our hearts toward them. Pray that God uses this podcast to speak into the lives of those struggling with addiction and ministers to the hearts of the hurting. We need your prayers covering this ministry so we can be effective ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, thanks for listening to this podcast. My prayer is that it blessed you and brought you a fresh understanding of our lives in this world and our need for unity in Christ. A brush fire of revival in Jesus Christ is our only hope for satisfaction and true joy as we walk out the human experience that is our day-to-day lives. It's been my sincere honor to be your host today at the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. Be blessed and be a blessing to those around you. Till next time, I leave you with a scripture from Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my God.